The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Good morning. It's uh, good to be in front of you. First time for me here in Chatlow's Chapel this semester and looking forward to starting a series. But uh, before we uh, jump into that, I did want to uh, reiterate a couple things about homecoming. I hope I told my class this morning uh, that uh, homecoming is a very special time uh, when alumni come from uh, all over the world, actually, uh, to enjoy the festivities of the day. But I can tell you that over the course of my being involved at the university now for almost three decades, they are always blessed and encouraged by getting time with you as students. So please, enjoy the day. It's for you as well as for them. I trust that you'll uh, enjoy your time together and enjoy all the activities. Uh, the Alumni Relations Office has done a great job putting this together. And uh, uh, Mrs. Williams and I are particularly excited about Friday evening and hosting the garden party at our house. So uh, if you're not uh, busy and you want to stop over for the soiree uh, in the backyard, uh, please come over. We uh, always look forward to having you there, uh, weather permitting, of course, but uh, look forward to having you there. Uh, uh, Dawn's already begun to decorate the deck, and Student Life and Pioneer Catering does a great job putting that event together for us, and we enjoy opening our home to you and uh, seeing uh, how many people we can get in the living room uh, at one time. Uh, but do uh, come over. We, we really enjoy this event and activity, and I, I know that there will be a number of, of, uh, of you who cannot make it, but for those of you who are here and, and uh, can come over and enjoy the garden party, we really do want to uh, invite you over there to enjoy that evening together. We always, always really look forward to it. And then on Friday, uh, we have a, an, a guest speaker, um, an esteemed alum of the university will be introduced then. Dr. Alan Gels will be here to speak to you on Friday. Uh, so there's a lot going on uh, this week, as was said, and, and we do want you to get a sense of it. One of the things I think that's important for you as students who are here now to get a sense of with regard to homecoming is it's not just a time when the uh, <clears throat> old folks come back or the uh, graduates return to the scene of the crime or whatever it might be. Um, it is actually a time for us to celebrate God's faithfulness to this institution. This year marks 110 years since we were founded. Uh, that's a significant amount of time. Very modest Bible Institute in 1913 in the city of Philadelphia to what we see today. God's hand has been upon the university for more than a century. Just try to get your mind around that, more than a century. So in a very real sense... Uh, you as students here today and those of us who studied here in previous decades, we're a part of something larger than ourselves, as we all are in the church. We stand upon the shoulders of the saints that have gone before us. We're here today uh, by God's grace and enjoying his faithfulness to this institution, as well as the sacrifice and service of all those who have gone before us. So you're part of a long line now that's well over 100 years old and <clears throat> I uh, would like you to get a sense of that this week, that uh, you're a part of something larger than yourselves, and uh, we are encouraged by what the Lord has done here uh, since 1913 and our founding. I am always uh, struck at homecoming, the number of people that I talk to leading up to. I get a lot of conversations with people. I get phone calls and texts and emails from alum who have managed to wiggle my cell number out of me, and um, staying in touch with folks who are planning to show up, and I'm always encouraged uh, by uh, the alum who, who come back and celebrate God's faithfulness to this institution and, and testify to God's grace in their lives. Those that are walking faithfully with the Lord who have, who have actually lived out the mission of this institution to serve Christ in the church, society, and the world. I'm always encouraged 
by those interactions and relationships and testimonies. And I look forward to enjoying that with many of you after you graduate. I'm also very mindful that uh, in an institution of this size that's been around for this long, not every student who studies here and graduates holds their faith firm throughout the course of their lives. Some of you are here today struggling with your own faith and your own commitment to the walk that, that uh, the Lord Jesus has called you to. Some of you are here today probably never really putting saving faith in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sin. And some of you are here committed to that with all your hearts. In an institution this size that's been around this long, it stands to reason that not only would we have graduates who have walked faithfully and graduates who have not, that we would have students who are struggling in the same way and those that are deeply committed. So when I was thinking about the series that I wanted to do for this year, I was thinking about this particularly as it pertains to conversations I've had with some of you as students who are in this room now last spring and some other alumni and so what I've done is landed on a series that I'm entitling this year, What in the World Are We Doing? What in the world are we doing? And by that I mean, what in the world are we doing? A biblical perspective on our roles, relationships, and responsibilities. I specifically want to look at some very key elements to life that we live in this world, ranging from marriage and family, uh, which I will be taking up next, and I'm planning even on touching that delicate dynamic of dating at Cairn University. I've been watching for years, and I have a few ideas that might help you out. Um, I also want to talk about church. I want to talk about work and money. I want to talk about citizenship. I want to talk about learning and the life of the mind. I want to talk about your leisure and liberties. I want to talk about your relationships with others and what it means to be a neighbor. I want to talk about all of those things over the course of the time that we have together this year to challenge you to think intentionally about the way you live out your Christian faith. And hopefully, in calling attention to these things, challenge some of you to think about the implications, not just for the faith you have committed yourself to, but for those of you who are wandering a bit or uncertain, that you would think again about the importance of not only placing faith in Jesus Christ and trusting him as your Savior, but deciding to take up your cross and follow him, to walk after him according to his word and way. So I want to deal with some very practical aspects of life and the Christian faith and what it means to walk this out. And what I want to do today is to set that up for us so that as we dig into each of these individual topics and what the scripture has to say about them and thinking about the implications for our life and living it out in this world, that we have something to draw upon. And I thought there's no better place to begin than the passages of scripture from which we draw our tagline, Walk a Different Path. In this very Christ-centered letter to early Christians, the Apostle Paul outlines his, his view of how the Christian life is to be lived and why. And so we're going to take on some very practical things, but I want you to have <clears throat> some framework for understanding why we do that. And it is out of genuine concern for you and, and for uh, students everywhere, for the church, for our graduates everywhere, for my own children, for others, that we would think about what it means to live the Christian life. You know, it's interesting. I've said this many times, and I really do believe it. See, back when I was coming up and being discipled, we didn't have smartphones to write everything down or voice to text, and people used to write things on three-by-five cards and stick them around everywhere. 
Stick them on your mirror, stick them on your rear view mirror, stick them in books, stick them in your pockets. Three by five cards were all the rage. Look it up in the, in the dictionary of antiquity. You'll see them. <clears throat> but it came to me a number of years ago that what happens for a lot of us is we start to write down the things of the Christian life, Bible verses or doctrines or ideas, on three by five cards or jot them down in our mental notes or on our phones. And we lose sight of the fact that the Christian life is not a set of tenets that we hold on a piece of paper or in our phones or on three by five cards. The Christian life is to be lived. And it is to be lived in a particular way. And I would like to drive these points home for you this year. It's tied to our verse for the year about taking up your cross and denying yourself. But the Christian life is to be lived intentionally and in an integrated fashion. We talk about those words a great deal here. Uh, and if you haven't heard them, then we need to talk about them more frequently. The intentional and integrated Christian life is what we are after at this institution. Those words exist in a charge that I read at every commencement to the graduates. On commencement day, if you make it there, you will hear me say these words. I charge you as graduates of this institution and followers of Jesus Christ to commit yourselves to being faithful stewards of that which you've received here to cultivate and keep active the life of the mind, to attend to your continual study of Holy Scripture and to the disciplines of spiritual life, that you may grow in faith and in the knowledge and grace of God, and to give of yourselves in sacrificial service to your Lord, which is your spiritual act of worship. Then I ask this question, will you now here commit to the pursuit of an intentional and integrated Christian life? Will you purpose to expend your energies and talents in service to Christ in the church, society, and the world and for the glory of God. If so, please respond by saying, I will by God's grace. Not, not now. Um, in that charge, we actually are asking you to commit yourself to the pursuit of an intentional and integrated Christian life. That you would actually live your life with purpose and for a purpose. That the scriptural truths which you have studied here would be things that you integrate into your entire understanding. The grid through which you view all things and the lens through, the lens through which you view all things and the grid through which everything passes into your mind and heart. That you would become analytical people who would think carefully to guard your minds and hearts, to be integrated in every way, to not let the, the word of God uh, not be present and speaking to any particular area of your life, your job, your work, your money, your relationship, your marriage, your sexuality, whatever it is, the word of God speaks to every aspect and every element of who we are as human beings. And that word offered in the charge that you would purpose yourself to pursue the integrated and in, the integrated and intentional Christian life is not something that we say flippantly. We believe that the gospel and the word are to permeate everything about your life. The way you carry out your citizenship, the way you, you approach the life of the mind, the way that you experience leisure, the way you express your Christian liberties, the way you treat others, the way you engage in the life of the church. What you believe and what you believe to be true regarding the Lord Jesus Christ and his work and the holy word of God should have implications for every aspect of your life. And so when we're calling you to an integrated and, Christian, integrated and intentional Christian life, we're calling you to something that is inherently biblical. It's part of our calling as Christians. And the graduation charge is designed to send you out with that in your minds. But part of that is living faithfully with regard to the roles that we have in this world. You know, I, I think it's very curious. I heard a preacher say one time, 
that the Lord God could have taken us from the earth at the moment of conversion away to paradise. He did not. He left us here to do his work and to be his servants. He could have taken us away at the moment of conversion. And it would have been a great marketing technique for the gospel. Instant reward. But instead, he calls us to himself to be his servants in this world, to live life out, to be proclaimers and and models of the gospel and God's love and grace to others. And so we are to fulfill certain roles in this world. We have responsibilities on this earth. You're feeling the weight of your responsibilities and roles as students. You're bound by your syllabi. There are expectations for assessment, your relationships with one another, with faculty members. Some of you are on teams or on ensembles, clubs and organizations. You know what it is to possess responsibility. It's very hard to get through college and not have a sense of responsibility. There are things that you have to do. That's just the nature of life. But there are also roles that we fulfill. Some of you are fulfilling some of these roles presently, but I promise you, if you're not, there's a good chance most of you in the room will before too long. You'll be wives. You'll be husbands. You'll be mothers. You'll be fathers. You're already daughters and sons. You'll be workers and leaders. You'll be citizens. You are already, most of you, of voting age. You already have roles in this world that you are to fulfill. And the Bible has much to say about those things. How they are to be carried out. How they are to be approached. How we are to view them. My concern is that presently we live in a world that is extremely, and this is not an overstatement, self-absorbed and self-indulgent in the fact that we, we actually think that the universe, the world around us would have us think that the universe revolves around us. But instead, as Christians, what we recognize is we are his instruments. We are his workmanship. We are his servants. We are his people. We are his sons and daughters. And we are to live our lives with purpose. And that is played out in the way in which we walk. The Apostle Paul in this letter to the Ephesians, is actually calling those Christians to just that, to a faithful and fruitful life. As they fulfill these roles in this world, as they exercise their responsibilities and carry them out, as they enjoy relationships with one another, with authorities, with their neighbors, there is much to govern our lives in this, found in the scripture that governs our lives. And in chapter 5, the passage that was read for us actually speaks to this. The Apostle Paul, after laying down a great deal of theological truth in the opening of this letter, then beseeches these Christians to walk in a particular way. After stating that we've been dead and have made alive, been made alive, in chapter 4 he says, Look, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And over and over again, for the next couple of chapters, he calls Christians to live a particular way. And the passage that was read for us this morning begins this way. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't be deceived by the empty words of the world around you. Stay on the things that matter, the timeless eternal truths that are substantive, that have the ability to give you ballast, to keep you from being blown around in the wind as double-minded people and the, the whimsy of the world. Rather, be people of ballast and substance by holding to these things because then you will not be 
You will not be taken by empty ideas. You will not be deceived in this way. It's important for us to remember that we are to walk clear of deception of empty words, holding fast to the things that matter most. We were children of darkness at one time, but now we are light in the Lord. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is you've been transformed and so your lives should be ordered differently. What does that mean? Well, for each of the areas that I've outlined, it means that if you were in darkness and had brought into light, earlier he says you were dead and have been made alive. You were lost and now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. You were fools and now you're made wise. All of these things are true, which means the, the work of the Lord Jesus in you should have some impact upon your life. And it doesn't just mean that you will be a faithful husband. It means that you will be a Christ-like husband. It actually means that you will get married for different reasons than the foolish of a secular world that thinks that marriage is for your benefit rather than some greater benefit. It isn't to indulge your appetites. It's actually by God's design. That work is actually designed to be carried out for the glory of God. That your money is to be used as a stewardship exercise and, and, and give glory to God and advance his purposes. Every aspect of your life is touched by this reality. Don't be deceived by the vanity and empty words of the world around us that it's all about us and your individual experience or interpretation of things. Paul says, no, look, you need to understand. Don't be deceived by empty words. Rather, remember that you were in darkness and now you're in light. And the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's what you should want in life. What is good and right and true. That's what you should want in your marriages. That's what you should want in your families. That's what you should want in your work. That's what you should want to do with your money. That's how you should want to spend your time. Focused on what is good and right and true. That you would be working to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The walk is not just to keep yourself clean or pure or free from sin. It's to actually walk looking for what is pleasing to the Lord and to carry out your life accordingly. To live as children of the light. To live that fruitful life that comes from walking in the light. This idea of a fruitful life is an interesting one because it's different from what is discussed elsewhere with fruits of the Spirit. Here the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, which means that's the stuff you should seek the things that are pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, he says, in the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. Look, again, it would be naive to think that some of us in this room are not persuaded, tempted, and drawn to the fruitfulness that comes from darkness. Rather, folks, turn on the light. Confess, confess that the Lord God has a standard Agree with him on what is good and true and right and seek those things. Seek to live a life that is fruitful in the light, not hiding in the darkness. Take no part in those unfruitful works. Instead, expose them, for it is shameful to speak of the things they do in secret. When anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. We should be walking in the light, which means that you should be aware of the choices you're making and the ways in which you're thinking about things, the ways in which you're thinking about your money and your time, about members of the opposite sex, about ideas. The intentional integrated life means that the light is on and you're not living in the shadows. 
In Ephesians 5, Paul makes it very clear that to live in the light is to seek what is good and right and true, what is pleasing to the Lord. These are the things that we should be going after. Think about the implications for the topics that I want to cover this year. There is, presently, I believe, a not-so-subtle attack on the family and on marriage and on God's design for men and women to enjoy one another as he perfectly created us to do. There is an undermining of the church. There is the persuasion that work and effort is somehow repressive and not in your best interest. That money is to be used for the satisfaction of your appetites. That citizenship is folly and that we have no responsibilities in this world. That the life of the mind is not nearly as important as the life of the emotions. That whatever I want to do and enjoy, I should go in and do and enjoy. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever I want, I get to do. We overlook others and our responsibilities to others, but that is not the way of light. In fact, to live that way is to live foolishly. The Apostle Paul says then, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Doing what? Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is pleasing to God? These are the things that should fill our minds, the things that we want. What is pleasing to the Lord? What is his will? What does it mean to walk in the light, to walk as wise rather than unwise, to make the best use of the time because the days are evil? Well, I can tell you this. The Apostle Paul runs through all the theological things in the opening of Ephesians that are profound and significant and weighty. And then he lays on this exhortation to live in a particular way, built upon and in light of those theological truths, but the exhortation to live life a particular way is played out in what follows in this letter. Look at where it begins right next. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Children and parents, bondservants and overseers. The Apostle Paul ends this letter by talking about our work, our roles, relationships, and responsibilities in this world, and they are to be markedly impacted by the truths that he outlined in the first three chapters and the exhortation to walk in a particular way in the middle chapters. This is not an add-on, by the way, keep your houses in order. It's actually an outworking. Those theological truths, you should live accordingly and it should show up in your roles, responsibilities, and relationships to one another. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. College, it's very tempting to think of this as a parenthesis. It is not. This is your life right now. It's why we talk about the issue of the student's life and calling. Your calling is to fulfill your responsibilities and your roles here now and to tend to your relationships with one another and those around you here now in a way that is commensurate with the calling to walk according to the gospel and the theological truths upon which that calling is based. That's what's to mark our community. And so we should be thinking twice about cheating or lying or stealing or mistreating another or judging another or treating another unkindly or taking advantage of a person or objectifying one another. We should be thinking twice about those things because they are not pleasing to the Lord. They are not 
the things that we see as we walk in the light. They are not what is true and right and good. They are actually deeds of darkness. And so we should be living this way right now, not just in what is to come for you after graduation, but this integrated, intentional Christian life that we call you to at commencement. You should be working towards that now. I am convinced that wanting this is a question of maturity. There are very few rites of passage left in American society and culture. But by God's grace, you are enjoying the privilege of participating in one of those right now, which is college and university. Some have referred to it as the bridge between childhood and adulthood. That used to be your teens. Now it's this. In 1 Corinthians 13, that well-known chapter on love, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, When I was a child, I thought as a child. I acted as a child. I did childish things. When I became a man, I what? Gave up childish ways. That verse has always sort of stuck in the back of my throat. It's in a chapter on love. There's a lot more going on here theologically. But it's an interesting principle. Because first and foremost, what Paul is saying is, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Inherent in that line is that we should grow up. That we shouldn't be thinking like a child and reasoning like a child and acting like a child. We should desire maturity. And that should be played out in the way we think about our place in this world, the way that we live our lives, the walk that we walk, and the way we carry out these roles and relationships and responsibilities. So what I would like to do in the time that I have with you is to focus on these specific things and to challenge you to think biblically about them as an outworking of the gospel in your life and your commitment to God's word that we would see it transform the way you live your lives with one another here and what you will do beyond the walls of this institution when you yourselves become alumni and you return for homecoming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and grace, for the way you order our steps and direct our paths. We thank you for this institution which you have sustained for more than a century. We thank you for the men and women who have served here on the faculty and staff, the board of trustees, all those who have given generously to this work for more than a century. We thank you also for the men and women who have studied here. We thank you for the work that they have carried out around the world for more than a century. We thank you for the grace you have given them to live out our mission, to serve your son Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word, which is at the center of what we do here, that it is living and active, that it divides between joint and marrow, 
that every word is breathed out by you and is useful and profitable for teaching and reproof, rebuke and encouragement. We pray that in our midst here, as we stand upon the shoulders of all who have gone before us, you might give us grace to commit ourselves anew to the authority and sufficiency of your word, that we might order our lives accordingly, that it might be your word through which we view all of life and all ideas, and that your word would serve as the grid through which we allow all of those things to pass into our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray for the wisdom to seek what is pleasing to you. We pray for the grace to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and our Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for his work on the cross, for his death, burial, and resurrection, for his atoning sacrifice, which satisfies your wrath and purchases for us the blessings of forgiveness and redemption and the promise of eternal life. Father, if there are those in our midst who have not placed that kind of faith in the work of your Son, we pray that your Spirit would draw them unto you, cause them to bend their knees and to bow their heads, to come to faith in Christ. For those who are struggling, Father, we pray your outstretched hands of grace and mercy would draw them to yourself. For those who are feeling lost and wayward, for those who are being tempted by other things around them, we pray you would strengthen their inner selves, that as their faith weakens, you might strengthen their faith, that you would cause those of us around them to bring them back into fellowship with you. And Father, for those who have committed themselves to walking in this way, who feel the joy of their salvation and are fervently attending to their faith, we pray that you might give them a measure of grace to realize that it is you who is at work in them, to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Father, we pray that you would knit us together as a community committed to these things that are eternal and to love and care for one another enough to exhort one another to walk as people of the light, to desire what is true and right and good, and to be working to see what is pleasing to you and pursue those things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.